Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, please get them open to Mark chapter 6. I want to thank uh, the praise team for leading us in uh, that time this morning. I appreciate them a lot. And thank you guys for being here. And I often mention holidays are magnifiers of emotion. So if today's a good day, we pray that um, we hope that you will uh, you'll have, you'll be able to enjoy it to its fullest, right? And if it's a, a rough day, that you'd find your refuge in Jesus. And maybe even in this place and in this hour. That's our hope for you this morning. And so um, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, if you get a black one out of the seat backs in front of you, get to page 893. Uh, you'll be in Mark chapter 6 with us, and, and we're excited that you're here. I want to thank each and every one of you for coming. If you're a guest, especially, especially grateful that you're here. We know how hard it is to try something new, and so I want to make special mention of that. And I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started on this message this morning. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do, Lord, we just want to continue on what you've already started. Uh, Lord, just to, the opportunity we've had to worship you already, to, to fellowship with one another, greet one another, just every, every way that you worked to bring each and every person in this room uh, right now, Lord. We know it's not uh, by accident. And so we pray that uh, whether they're here or in the overflow room or watching online, God, that, that, that you would now just shove all distractions of life to the side, uh, that you would let your word just, just flow unhindered, uh, that your spirit would move unhindered and that you uh, would get the glory from all this. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So last year, our, uh, we had a traditional grill that died. It just stopped working completely, right? It was, it was rusting out and falling apart. And so in replacing it, uh, I did some research and I told Korean, I was like, you know what I'd like to have is one of those griddles. It's like an outdoor grill, but it's a, it's a flat surface. And, uh, and, and so we looked and um, Sam's Club had one, so we jumped on it and, and I've loved cooking on it. I cook more than I've ever cooked before. Uh, but there's been this really fun, sort of cute development that's come from it. And, and we have this lightweight portable garden bench that's, it's a rectangular shape and flat, much like a larger griddle would be. And so every time I go out and I fire up the griddle, our twin five-year-olds run out to the garden, they grab that bench and they come and they set it right by the griddle. Uh, and then when I'm putting oil on to cook, they, they, they start putting water on that thing. And then when I start throwing meat on, they grab like rocks and sticks and pine cones and they, and they act like they're cooking with me. And I, the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. That just the amount of, it hit me, just the amount of influence you have as a parent. Right, that they're always watching, and especially when they're younger, kids really do want to be like you. And it's Father's Day, so you might expect me to give a sermon entirely on that, right? We're talking about how important the role is, and challenge and call out any men who aren't stepping up to the plate, and, and it's true, okay? It's true, dads, that you have tremendous potential for great good and great harm in your children and grandchildren's lives. But I'm not going to zero in on that only today for, for a few reasons. Number one, it's just logistical, right? We're going through the book of Mark as a church, and we ended in verse 29 last week, and so we're going to be in verse 30 today, right? That's how we study books around here. But number two, I believe that deep down, the majority of men really want to be a good father, and the majority of women really want to be a good mother. And if they're failing in that, it's because they either don't know how are they been distracted by lesser things? Are they just insecure in that role? And what they need is someone to look to and some guidance. And boy, can we offer that in Jesus Christ, can't we? And then thirdly, not everybody here is a father, but everybody here has influence. And I believe that deep down, everyone here has a desire to make a difference. Because there is within us a God-given desire for influence. Yes, our ego is in there too somewhere. 
But God has created each of us with a draw towards making things better because that is the mission he's designed us for. And there's a really simple line that was instilled in me by my own father growing up that I repeat to myself often, which is, leave things better than you found them. And it works on a lot of levels, right? When you borrow something, you return it. Return it better than it was given to you. When you attend somewhere, whether it be at a school or a church or somewhere, when you work somewhere, leave it better than you found it. When you live in a neighborhood or you're around people, like, leave that place better than you found it. And yes, this works with people. We as followers of Jesus, more than anyone, should want to leave, leave people better than we found them, right? We should desire that people's lives are better off because they intersected with ours in some way. It's a really simple concept that's driven a lot of how I try to live my life. And in Mark 6 today, we get to see Jesus doing this very thing. I want us today to observe Jesus I want us to watch his rhythms. I want us to to see his practices, to notice his character. And if we do that, which by the way, this is is really the value of of Mark as a gospel. Mark, more than all the other gospels, records less of Jesus' teachings than any. What it records for us is how he lived his life. What were the rhythms that he walked in? What were the practices that he observed? How he treated people? Those are the things that we should study. And if we study Jesus to see what we can implement and model, we'll all be better off. Because in today's passage, we're going to see in a few verses that if you were doing Mark 6 as kind of your daily Bible reading, you might be tempted to just read and move, move on from, right? But if we don't do that, we can learn so much from Jesus. And if we try to put into practice what we see from him here, then he begins to work through us. And then whether it's our children or our spouses or our neighbors or friends or coworkers or strangers that we bump into, right? with his working through us, we can actually leave people better than we found them. And so I'm going to invite uh, Lauren up today. She's going to be reading Mark chapter 6, verses 30 uh, through 34. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand with her to honor the reading of the word of the Lord this morning? Morning, Lauren. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Thank you. You guys have a seat. Please keep your Bibles open there, because that's the passage we're going to uh, break apart today. And, and at first read, like I mentioned to you, at first read, the things that Jesus are, is modeling for us here don't really jump off the page to you, right? This is, this is a story about Jesus performing miracles, right? In your, in your Bible, I'm sure the heading says, feeding of the 5,000, and we didn't even get to it. So that's a nice spoiler alert for what we're going to be looking at next week. Right? But I don't want us to miss what Jesus is showing us here. Because it helps to understand his role and in the context and culture that he had. Jesus Christ was a rabbi. uh, And he had disciples, right? We we might call them students, right? They really were kind of apprentices. And and we think of, we think in our culture and day, like of students as people who come to a classroom, come to a a setting which they're going to learn, and then they'll leave uh, after the lecture's over, only to return to that classroom again, kind of over and over again until they've learned what they need to learn, Right? 
And Jesus did teach quite often. In fact, verse 34 says he started to teach them, right? He taught large crowds, and then in private he would teach his disciples. But in the first century culture, the, the, the idea around rabbis and disciples was different than what we think of today when it comes to teacher and student. Because a disciple wouldn't come to a rabbi and be taught and then leave. A disciple would literally follow his rabbi around. They would live with them and travel with them and spend all kinds of time with them. So rabbis, even when they weren't holding some kind of public lecture, they were always teaching. Rabbis were constantly modeling and what they were teaching their disciples were rhythms and ways of life. They were always influencing their disciples. And the reason I point that out is because it's important for us to take note of that model because it's the exact language that we are called to. Jesus' invitation to us is not come learn from me. It's not come and be my student. No, his invitation is to follow me and be my disciple. And so it helps if we put those lenses on when we read the Gospels. And what I mean by that is in most Bibles, the words of Jesus are in red. And so it's almost like we give those higher importance, right? If Jesus is saying something, Jesus is teaching, we need to give our full attention. And we do. That's right. But then we read all the other passages like, as almost like filler to get to what he said. But if we are truly his disciples, then all the other things matter too. And we should be reading the Bible and asking ourselves, how did he carry himself? What rhythms and practices did he observe? What are the things that he was modeling for us? And there are three things in these five verses that our rabbi, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, model for us that we should then live out and model for others. And the first is that he was constantly modeling development. Last fall, my wife, Corinne, was wanting to learn how to, to bake sourdough bread, and she knew of someone who, who did this quite often, and, and she just asked the lady about it. And this lady did a really cool thing. Right? Instead of being like, well, here's the basic way I do it, and you can kind of look it up and figure it out. She said, why don't, we, why don't we clear out a day, and you just come over to my house for the day, and I'll walk you through step by step the entire process. I'll show you how to do it, and then you can do it right alongside me. And then when she left, she gave her own starter to start her own, and then handwritten instructions of everything that they'd gone through. And the result of this is that my life got better. Right? Every single weekend now, we have fresh baked bread in our house. And, and now that lady could have simply heard about that interest and just baked Corinne a loaf and handed it to her. Right? She could have done that. And then we would have had one loaf. Right? But instead, she walked Corinne through the entire process and taught her how to do it herself, which is a very simple concept. But sometimes we don't do this. Parents, teachers, coaches, business leaders, ministry leaders, even, even just disciples, right? Even just people following Jesus. We get so busy doing what we do that we don't develop anyone else. And by the way, doing things for others is not bad. But as long as we recognize that it's always going to be limited. What's the famous saying? You give a man a fish, he can eat for a day. But you teach him how to fish, he can eat forever. You, you might not know this, but this, that is actually, that concept and idea is how the kingdom of God has been designed, There are two crucial passages that that help shape our mission and our understanding of it in the New Testament. The first is just the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, go therefore, and here's the language, and make disciples. That's huge. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So all of us, right, who are in Jesus Christ have been given this mission that we are to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, on and on. 
It's not our mission. It's not our job to make believers. It's not, it's not our job to convince someone to put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and then be like, box checked, it's done, we can move on. No, we are to teach and we are to model and we're to live by example and, and, and walk hand in hand with people and show others how to follow Jesus and how to emulate Jesus and then they are to take what they've learned from us and to teach and model and show others and on and on. That is the Great Commission. And then in the setup of the church, right? The local church that we're all part of, Ephesians 4. It says, he himself, it's Jesus. Jesus gave some to be apostles in the church, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Jesus sets these leaders of the local church up for what reason? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. So the design of the church is to develop you so that you can serve Christ, Right? It's, not, it's not to hire professional ministers to do all the ministering. Right? That leads to a culture of consumerism and stagnation. Instead, the leaders in the church should be developing and equipping so that you can become who God created you to be. Ministry should not be hogged by a select few, but spread out to as many as possible. Now, there's been a lot of books written on leadership development based on the model of Jesus Christ, and, and, and many secular ones even. Because he was so intentional, he was so very intentional about developing his disciples. Because, and he had a mission for them that carried on far past his time on this earth. And so he followed a pattern that many still follow today. And you, you, could, you could Google this today and find this in all kinds of secular circles of, of the same pattern that Jesus implemented that they try to follow today. Which is, I do and you watch. I do and you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. And then you do and someone else watches. It's the rhythm he's taking his disciples through. And we've seen this in Mark, haven't we? Early on in Mark 1, he calls his disciples to follow him. And their first job is simply what? Just to watch. Just observe, right? Remember the language in John 1 when he calls disciples? You're going to see better things than that. So why don't you come and follow and see? And they go with him and they follow him and they watch and learn and observe. And then, if you've noticed, as we go through Mark, he starts sprinkling in little roles for them to play. Chapter four, there's this huge crowd by the sea. It's the disciple's job to figure out how to manage the crowd and, and push a boat out and make it like a little stage for him. And chapter five, he takes Peter, James, and John with him to Jairus' house and he tells them, you guys clear out all the mourners and all the mockers. You gotta get them out of here so I can do my work, right? He keeps giving them more and more and more responsibility. And then do you remember what he did earlier in chapter six? Right, this is what verse 30 is tying back to. From verses seven to 13, he sends them out separate from him for the first time. He gave them authority. He told them to go and do and teach what it is that they had seen and heard from him. And what is happening in verse 30 is that they're returning from this mission. They're coming back to the meeting place they set up. And I love what Jesus does here. Don't miss it. He just sits down with them. And he has them report on it and debrief. They talk about it. What do you think went well, guys? What didn't go well? What did you learn? What would you do differently if you were to do it again? Like, right? What he's doing is he's developing them. He's ensuring that he leaves them better than he found them. So my question to you this morning is this. Who are you developing? Who is it that you're intentionally pouring into? Right? Parents, with, with your kids, are you simply just correcting behavior only? Or are you trying to help them to understand the why and the heart behind it? Are you teaching them the rhythms and ways of following Christ? Is, is there anyone in your life that you're actually discipling? 
Is there anyone you're like, man, I am intentionally pouring into this relationship, right? Is there anyone you're trying to leave better than you found them? If not, I'm going to be honest with you, you're missing a huge part of God's design for your life. Jesus modeled this for us, then calls us to this. He wants us to do it. He modeled development. Secondly, he modeled for them a sustainable life in ministry. Did you notice it? It's, it's already been sprinkled through Mark already, but we haven't talked about it much. But here in chapter 6, Jesus receives his disciples from this mission. They debrief, and then he says, great, all right? Let's get back to the grind. Right? You now have done this once. You went to six different regions. Let's go to six more, right? Because everybody's got to hear this news. We've got to get right back at it. Only well, it's not what he says, is it? Look at verse 31. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. You want to know one of my favorite things about God? One of my favorite things about God is that he never expects me to be him. I'm so grateful for that. In Psalm 121, we're told of the Lord that he's called the protector of Israel. It says, indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. God does not tire. God does not require sleep. He does not require rest. He goes on and on and on. He is infinite. It should be obvious by now that we are not. I hope you've noticed that. But we can miss this, right? We can, we can, we can miss it. But, but look at what God set up even in creating the world. Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And what did he do? And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God then blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, meaning it was more important than the first six. For on it, he rested from all of his work of creation. Do you get what's happening there? It turns out that God has been modeling for us healthy rhythms since he created the world. He didn't need a break, God wasn't tired. Right? He literally spoke the word in existence. He didn't toil and sweat and labor on it. He wasn't worn out. He's like, man, six days of creating, I'm done. No, he built this into design for us. He built into the design of his creation six days of work and effort and one day of rest. And then throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, he calls his people to live this way. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus' disciples in the book of Acts and on modeled this for us. The early church observed this. Now, in addition to the observance of a weekly Sabbath, Jesus often modeled and taught his disciples about getting away and recovering, right? What he says in verse 31 is come away by yourselves to a remote place. The remote place, that Greek word there is the eromos, and this meant a lot to Jesus. It's a place he returned to again and again and again. It was a rhythm and practice of life he had. In Mark 1, Jesus gets baptized, and do you remember what happened immediately after? Mark 1 verse 12 says, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. The wilderness there is the Eremos. It's the remote place. And so he has this moment where he's baptized and, and the father speaks, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And immediately by the Holy Spirit, he's driven right into the remote place. And, and what happens there is Satan shows up and tempts him. And I think the spirit drove him into the remote place so that he could use the quiet place and the connection with God there as means of strengthening himself for the battle that was coming. And then later in Mark 1, he returns from 40 days in the Eremos, having defeated Satan, and then he goes and does one day, one day of ministry in Capernaum. Now, it's a long day. He teaches all day long. He heals people well into the evening, but this is what we find in Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way where? To the Eremos, to the deserted place, and there he was praying. 
So think about what we see from Jesus there. He spends 40 days in the quiet place, does one day of ministry, and runs right back to the quiet place. Luke 5, Luke tells us, he often withdrew to the deserted places, that's the Eremos, and prayed. He often did this. And now what's he doing for his disciples? He's pointing them, he's modeling them, he's leading them to develop the same rhythm. You've had a great first run apart from me, guys. Great job. There's more coming, but first, let's go to the Eremos. First, we've got to go get rest. We've got to go connect with the Lord. We've got to go recharge and make sure you're ready for the next grow. And God has been consistent with this messaging from the very beginning of time. We're not him. We cannot go on forever without ever slowing down. And yet the most celebrated and revered idol in our society is busyness and hustle. Ask, ask 20 people this week how they've been lately. Ask how their week has been, how their life has been. You know what answer you're going to hear more than any other? Busy. How, how's your week? It was busy. How's life been? It's been busy. Well, what, was, what was May like for you? It was really busy, right? It's all you're going to hear. The next time you answer that question that way, I'm asking you to feel a sense of remorse, not of pride. I want you to say, yeah, we've been busy, and I really need to do something about that. I need to make some changes. I need to walk more in the rhythms that Jesus walked in. I need to build in margin. Because margin is simply the gap between your load and your limits. It's the gap between what you're carrying and what you can carry. And if you're always carrying 100% of what you can carry, then you're always going to be running on empty. And you might have the best intentions in the world. You might want to leave people better than you found them. But let me ask you, what comes from an empty cup when it's poured out? Nothing. Nothing at all. And so our busyness, our steadfast refusal to slow down, our ignoring of the Sabbath, our having no rhythm of the Eremos in our lives, all these things are keeping us from being, ever being present with God. They're keeping us from ever being present with others. They're keeping us from ever being useful for God and useful for others. It's not by accident that God built this into the creation story. It's not by accident that Jesus did this all the time. It's not by accident that he often withdrew the quiet place. It's not by accident that the very first thing he invites his disciples to after their first ministry success, what's, what's left is this. Are we going to take it seriously? Because God clearly does. But will we actually be followers of Jesus and implement these rhythms into our life? Now, even though Jesus is modeling development, even though he's showcasing how important rest and recovery are, even though Jesus' plans were always good, there's one more thing that Jesus models for us in this passage, and it's that people are more important than your plans. Did you catch it in verse 32? He gets into a boat, and he tells the disciples, this is where we're going. We're going to Eremos. We're going to a quiet, deserted place. There's just one problem, isn't there? Look at verse 33. But many saw them. So they've gotten the boat and they're going to the quiet place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. And what did they do? They ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. People, man. Am I right? Crowds of people who just didn't care what Jesus' plans were. Right? Crowds of people who, who didn't, didn't want him to go off and recharge. They, wanted to, they still wanted stuff from him. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted miracles. They, they needed something. And so Jesus' really good plan to go get some rest to have a time with just his disciples and just his father gets completely interrupted and it fails because when they get out of the boat, it's no longer a deserted place anymore. I wonder, what do you like when your plans get interrupted? I'd like to tell you that I handle it graciously. 
Maybe sometimes I do. But I can learn a lot from Jesus here. Look, look at his reaction, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Anyway, he lands and he looks up and he sees all his plans are ruined. Instead of a deserted, quiet place, it's filled with people. But instead of seeing annoyances, instead of seeing problems, instead of seeing inconveniences, he sees people. He sees souls. He sees their need. And the Bible tells us he looks at them as sheep without a shepherd. And what he feels is compassion. He treats them with mercy and with grace. And he starts a full day of ministry. The exact opposite of what he wanted. But he doesn't anywhere because of his compassion. And please note, he doesn't abandon his need for rest and recovery. As soon as this day is done, he's going to send his disciples off in a boat by themselves again, and he's going to go to the airmost and pray. He just delays it because there is need right in front of him. And there are times in your life when people will come calling and they'll have needs. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. People get sick, and they get in accidents, and they have crises, they have needs arise, and none of them ever check with your calendar ahead of time. Those things just happen. They're never planned. And so it doesn't matter how good your plans are. People matter more. And if we are truly to be disciples and followers of Jesus, we should be people who hold our plans loosely. Because God is a God of interruption. People are needy. Life is unpredictable. So no matter what rhythms we put into place, no matter how organized your schedule or how well thought out your to-do list is, people matter more. And we need to be willing to drop our plans if God brings someone along our way that is in need at that moment. So where does all this leave us? All of these things that Jesus is showing us, right? We have this innate desire to have influence on others. God has put each of us in roles and positions, and he actually expects us to influence people towards him. Right? So we should all like, literally be trying to leave people better than we found them. But in that, it's helpful to remember one key thing that God keeps reminding us of, and it's this, that we're not God. He does not expect us to be. Which is very clarifying, that, that, that the burden of influencing others does not fall on my shoulders alone. Instead, what I'm to do is I'm to turn my attention and theirs to the one who's actually capable There is a reason that we are unapologetically and unashamedly a Jesus church, and it's because he is our only hope. He is our hope and our solution and our answer. He's everything that we're banking on. And so as we kind of filter all this through today, I want to encourage you in three really simple ways as we close this. And the first is this, just look to Jesus. I don't know what's heavy on your heart this morning. I don't know what it is that's keeping you up at night. I don't know what that thing is that's causing an unceasing undercurrent of anxiety running through your life. But I can tell you what your answer is, and it's Jesus. After last week's sermon, somebody handed me a note that simply just started with this. It just simply said, it's really hard out there in life. Man, did every fiber of my being agree with that. And the only hope we have in this life is Jesus. He's the only hope we have in our next life, too. Our biggest problem is our sin. Our human sin causes all of the pain and grief we face. Our sin has separated us from God, and it will be the reason that we were going to spend an eternity in hell if it's not paid for, which is why we so desperately need Jesus. 
It's because he came and lived the sin in his life and he went to the cross to pay our price that if you believe in him and trust in him alone to save you, all your sins will be forgiven by God and, and you will have the promise of eternal life. And only in Jesus can you have that. But he doesn't stop being our only hope from there. Every hurdle in front of us, every situation we face, none of them are hopeless with Jesus. So look to him. As Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him. Follow him. Walk as he walked. Imitate his rhythm. Strive for his character. There really, I'm telling you, there is no situation in your life that will not be improved by you being closer to Jesus and acting like him in it. There isn't one. Secondly, as you look to him, point them to Jesus. Who's them? It's people that you know and love. It's the people that you care about the most, the people who have your heart. In your care for them, in your development of them, in your sharing of life with them, every chance you get, point them to Christ. Because the more they have of them, the more they follow him, the more they trust him, the better off they're going to be. Now, them is also those you haven't met yet. It's those that you bump into at a store who randomly knock on your front door needing something. It's your neighbor across the street you haven't met yet. It's the coworker in the cubicle next to you. It's the parent of another child on the soccer team. Take a note from Jesus and remember, people matter more. Whatever your to-do list that day was, it doesn't matter. People matter more. They need him. Jesus Christ died for us in public. We should not follow him only in private. And then lastly, walk as he walked. The question I'm asked is this, are you truly following him? Are you truly his disciple? Are you trying to implement more of Jesus in your life? Is he really your rabbi? If so, who is it that you're intentionally discipling or developing in the ways of Christ? If so, do you, do you have any rhythm or practice of silence and solitude and rest and Sabbath? Man, ignore those things at your own peril, I promise you. They're so hard to implement and so worth it when you do. If so, do you care for people more than your plans? Are we really trying to imitate Christ in our life and our schedule and our calendar and our hearts and our values? Yes, it's getting hard out there. Yes, life seems more burdensome by the day. You add to that people that we actually want to influence for good, people in places that we want to leave better than we found them, it can feel like an awful lot. And this is precisely why our hope is not in us, but in him. And so the invitation is simply this, look to him. Point others to him. Try to walk as he walked. That we can do. That we can do. And when we do, God himself is going to work through our little widow's mites. He's going to work through our little efforts and he will make eternal changes and we can leave people better than we found them. Before we close this morning, I'm going to give you a couple moments just to spend some time praying, speaking, and wrestling with the Lord. Some time, quiet time between you and him to, 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 to lift some things before him that, that he's put on your heart this morning or just to hear from him. All right, and there's some guidance on the screens if you need it, but really this is, we're creating kind of the most for you now. It's quiet stillness. You can connect with the Lord and hear from him this morning. Please take advantage of it.